This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. Active Skin Repair uses a molecule called hypochlorous acid, which mimics our natural immune response to cleanse, soothe irritation, reduce inflammation, and support healing. We've been loving Active Skin Repair for all the cuts and scrapes that show up in the active toddler life. Sage loves that there's both the spray version, but also a cream version. He likes to get to choose which one he's going to do. He calls it the magic cream. And it's been so great for taking care of Mila's neck rash now that she's full on teething. Can we get a minute for a teething three and a half month old? What in the world? Active Skin Repair has thousands of five-star reviews and the ingredients so safe and clean, they can be used from the youngest member of the family to the oldest. Keeping it simple with one soothing solution for all your family's skin health needs. Visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and to get 20% off your order, use code VILLAGE. That's www.activeskinrepair.com, code VILLAGE, for 20% off your order. You're listening to Voices of Your Village. This is episode number 23. Today's topic is the most requested topic I've ever had. I brought on Angela Garcia. She has a master's in early childhood and runs a beautiful preschool classroom. In her classroom, she allows gunplay. And to be honest, I came at this conversation with a different opinion. I wasn't so sure about gunplay in early childhood. And we dove into a real, honest, respectful conversation, working to understand one another. I can honestly say that by the end of this conversation, my opinion on gunplay with children changed. I think it's really important that we're having these discussions and that we're doing so from a place of respect and love and kindness and working to understand each other. So I'm so grateful to Angela for her perspective and for walking me through this and helping me understand where she's coming from and why this is something that she chooses to let kids engage in. I will have an Instagram post over on seed.and.so up and running today. And I'd love your feedback on this episode. I want to hear from you. What are your questions? What's your perspective? How do you feel about it? So pop on over to Instagram after you're done listening and, and give me your feedback. I would love that. If you're loving this podcast, would you take two minutes afterwards and scroll down in iTunes to leave a review? It's not just for my ego. It boosts the podcast so that other families can find it on iTunes. All right, let's dive in. Welcome to Voices of Your Village, a place where parents, caregivers, teachers, and experts come to support one another on this wild ride of raising tiny humans. We combine decades of experience with the latest research to create the modern parenting village. Let's dive into honest conversation about real parenting challenges so it doesn't have to be this hard. I'm your host, sleep consultant, child development specialist, and passionate feminist, Alyssa Blass Campbell. Hey everyone, welcome to Voices of Your Village. Uh, today, I get to sit down with one of my dear friends. Uh, she and I both taught at the same school. 
She has a master's in early childhood and she teaches preschool. Uh, she'll tell you in a second a little more about herself, but I brought her on because we come at this topic from different places and I want to understand where she's coming from. I want to see the other side here. Um, I put out a question to parents about gunplay, about whether or not you let your kids play with guns and why. Did you have any questions or fears around it? And it was the most engaged post I've ever had. So many people chimed in here and with a lot of questions that I also have. So Angela and I are going to sit down and talk this through with you. Hey, Angela. Good morning. How are you? I'm doing good. I just got home from the gym, so I'm doing good. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what your background is? Yeah, I'm originally from New Mexico. I've been in Massachusetts for about two years now, and I've been teaching at the same child care center here in Massachusetts since I arrived. And I've been teaching in a classroom for about four years consecutively now. And it's always been a topic of conversation, whether we allow children to play with guns and we, or we don't. And in my classroom over the past few years, it's evolved. And I do let them play and talk about guns very openly. <laughs> Is it uh, something that for you changed with coming to Mass or it's something that you've kind of always done? No, it actually changed when I started my master's program. Um, it originally started, I walked into a classroom my first day of my practicum, and it was the first day of school, and children were playing American Sniper off of the loft <laughs> towards everybody. And I remember thinking, why are we letting kids do this? <laughs> and so, because I was very opposed to the whole thing, I didn't agree with it necessarily, and I sat down at my first team meeting with my co-teacher and mentor, Kate. And she said, here's a book, go do some research. And it was a book on <laughs> superheroes, um, villains, bad guys. And I went home and I read this book and it talked a little bit about where children are with their play at that moment in their development. So it's just evolved from there. Totally. Yeah, I, it, it's interesting because I absolutely recognize like that it's developmentally appropriate play right that same with like rough and tumble play right that like it's developmentally appropriate and they're not seeking it out as like a, a bad thing that they're doing on purpose I guess my like biggest question is like what's our role as adults to teach kids about guns right about like what they do if they take a toy gun and they turn and they shoot me, my gut instinct, my like inclination is to be like, well, now I'm dead and now we can't play, right? Like, because I want them to understand that it's, it's not something casual, right? When we have high, of all the firearm homicides in the world, 82% of them occur in the United States. And so for me, I want them to understand that guns are dangerous or can be right yeah I think that a lot of it goes back to where we are and how much of it is ours and how do we eventually scaffold the conversation of it being dangerous I grew up in Texas and my family's had guns and we always knew that when the guns were out what they were we knew the safety we knew where the safety was we knew where to stand 
our parents and our uncles and our aunts, our cousins, everybody was very intentional about teaching us the dangers of guns. And we knew not to play with the guns because we knew they were dangerous, which is different from my three-year-old and my five-year-old in my classroom when they come up to me and they say, bang, bang, you're dead or something. And it also depends on age when I talk about developmentally appropriate and how I start the conversation with some of them. My classroom, this school year started with my youngest child being 2.9 and my oldest child being 5.3. It's a big gap. (laughs) It's a very big gap. And my very young children had no idea what this was. And they saw my older students playing this game of guns. And at one point, one of my youngest students comes over and he like shoots at his mom or something. Mm. And in my head, it didn't even phase me what this three-year-old had done. It was the first time he'd ever done it. It didn't even phase me. But mom looked at me and was like, oh my God, he just did that. And I was like, what? And I was like, oh, do you need a hug? (laughs) That's actually kind of scary. And she was like, yeah. We gave her a hug and we talked a lot about it. And she was like, what do I do or what do I say? And I was like, honestly, he probably has no idea what he just did. And if we go into the conversation right now in this moment about guns are dangerous and guns are these terrible tools, then what he just thought was a game is now going to be this very big new idea in his brain. That's with one child. Now I have a five-year-old who gets very, used to get very angry with me. And he'd not only yell at me and curse at me, but sometimes he'd pass by and shoot me because he was very angry with me. And in that role, then it became a much more serious conversation because he already knew the power of guns and what they did to adults and how it made adults feel. And with him, there was many conversations in you know, you can tell me that you're feeling angry with me because I set a certain boundary. You can tell me that you're frustrated because you can't do whatever you want. Because when you point your gun at me, it makes me feel uncomfortable and doesn't make me safe. And within the context of our classroom, we take care of each other. Um, Last year, we were in the classroom and this gun topic was very big. And it was the first time I had ever received so much resistance in letting young children play this. And it was my first year in Massachusetts. (laughs) (laughs) And I came in with like, well, actually, if kids are playing this, then we just, we're the ones responsible to teach young children how, what this means to them and what it means to the world and how dangerous it is within the context of explaining it to children in the state of childhood. So you're saying that like when it's, when it's play and almost like when it's consensual, Mm-hmm. then you let it be playful and you let it occur and the guns could be anything, right? It could be a lightsaber. It could be, it, it's not about the guns in that moment, but then when they're using it like as a weapon or out of like anger, that's when it's different for you. When it's not consensual, when he walks by and shoots you because he's mad and you aren't playing a game. Correct. That's when it changes. Okay. I, I dig that. I respect that. <laughs> Um, I guess for me, a big part of this is like our white privilege, my white privilege and our white privilege is a school because our school is predominantly white. And so I was like, what message are we sending here? If we say, yeah, it's safe to play with guns if you're just playing. 
when it's not safe for everyone to do that, right? We know, I, I, I grew up in you know, a small farm town in upstate New York, very, very white and lots of guns, largely hunting, right? Like it's a big hunting community. And, but we know that statistically speaking, white gun deaths, 77% of white gun deaths are suicide with only 19% being homicide. Whereas for black Americans, 82% of gun deaths were homicide, 14% suicide. So for me, like growing up, I didn't feel fearful of guns. Maybe it's because a gun would only be a bad thing if I chose to take my own life. I didn't feel like someone else was going to shoot me mm-hmm. as a white American. But I want to be mindful of like that privilege and that that's not the case for black Americans, right? That like there's a real chance that someone's going to shoot you. Yeah. And what's our job for teaching kids this, right? And especially like uh, for being mindful of having, I think that there's privilege in choosing not to have the conversation, right? To say like, I'm not going to talk about this because we get to not talk about this right now. That makes sense. It does. I think that as a privileged community, I'm just going to put myself right in there because I work here. So (laughs) as a privileged community, we have the responsibility of having this very real conversation when we start to see, even sooner than before it becomes this idea where I'm going to pass by and pretend to shoot you because I'm angry. Last year, I sat down with my students at a meeting and we were all talking about guns and we had talked about how they're dangerous. Like there's no children's books that talk about this, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? There's none that say any of this. Maybe but you I, should write one. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> but we did sit down at meeting and we did talk about them. And most of my students who were white, who were talking about them, knew that who had guns in their homes, knew like these are tools that are used to be safe. Like they're used for not to be safe but they're used for hunting. They're used for these things and we know not to play with them. My family. Uh, Can I ask real quick, how did you talk about it? Like how did you start this conversation or bring it up? Well, it's because it was uncomfortable for the teachers in my classroom. Yeah, no, it's important. I think it's uncomfortable for a lot of people. Correct. And they were very uncomfortable with it. They were very much, no. One of my teachers from, one of my teaching fellows from last year was from Brockton and he was like, no. No, we're not going to let our children do that. And he was like coming from the point of fear. And although he was um, white, he grew up with African-Americans. He knew people that had been hurt, that had been shot at and stuff. He's from a high crime place. Correct. And he, he was like, no, I don't want my students to know this. I don't want them to talk about this. And I said, but it's our, it's our duty. It's our responsibility to teach them that they are dangerous things, even when there's, even when we feel we have the right to say we don't have to talk about it. Totally. You know, I believe that young children are very much, not, it's not just that they're resilient, but they are so much more capable of understanding if we take the time to explain to them these types of things. Because after our conversation, and we flat out sat down and said, you know, real guns, are actually very dangerous. And our students who had guns at home said, yeah, my dad told me that I could really die for reals if (laughs) I played with that. 
which is different from when they pass by and we're playing this game and they shoot at me and they're like, okay, now you have to be dead. And then I'm dead. And they're like, okay, but come on, come back to life so you can keep following mm-hmm. me. Right. <laughs> Completely two different things of understanding. And as teachers, we get to continually be mindful of what is play and letting children let be able to live in the state of childhood while they are children. So at what point, this is actually one of the parent questions that I got, like at what age do we have that conversation, right? Say they're starting to play with guns, this is happening, but it's still just playful. At what point do we say like, all right, we're going to talk about when it's not playful, right? Like what the implications of guns can be. Yeah. I had a family with the the same three-year-old who had just shot at his mom Mm. Um, a few weeks after that. I guess they were at um, they were at the aquarium in the city, and he passed by a little boy, an African American little boy, and shot at him. And the parents were mortified. Mortified. They came in the next day. They came in on Monday, and they're like, "This happened, and it's awful. How do we change it? Like, it's not our family culture. It's not a part of our family style that we do this. We don't even know how to address it." And I said, "Then maybe now you should have a conversation." Because now it's in a different context. Because although I believe that my student was just trying to play with mm-hmm. this new person, there's a lot of there's a there's a big difference of how this is viewed outside of the classroom, especially outside of a white privileged classroom, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And I encourage them. You know, now you can talk about it because now it's in a different context. This type of game, and it's not like people are shooting and people are dying. And those flat out words, although I would actually dare to say them, but it's uncomfortable sometimes. And I think as parents and as teachers, we have to find a way to be able to be comfortable with a conversation that you're then going to have with a three-year-old. Because if you're uncomfortable, then they're going to be uncomfortable. If you don't know what you're going to say, they're going to know it and then be like, but can I really trust you? Right. (laughs) Right. Totally. I think I, yeah, I, I. I dig that, that like when it starts to change. So I think that was one of the things, one of the parents reached out um, on social media and said, shared an anecdote of being at the playground and um, a little boy came up to her little girl and like with a toy gun, finger gun, whatever, like shot her. And she didn't know what to do. The child didn't really react. And the mom was like, it made me feel uncomfortable. I didn't know what to do. So I guess like outside, I think in the classroom is one thing and then outside of the classroom, how do we address this, right? If it's just like one three-year-old that a parent has and they're going to the playground and they're going to walk up and pretend to shoot somebody, not knowing if that person is comfortable with this play or have experienced this play, um, how do we teach kids to kind of read the room, you know, and like, (laughs) no, be able to respond to other people's reactions. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think I'm going to answer that from both perspectives, right? Because if it's this person who just someone came up to her or him and shot them and they had no idea what was going on, (laughs) it's like, what? (laughs) Then, as the parent, I would recognize, or as the adult, because I'm not a parent, but as the adult, I'd recognize that it's me who's uncomfortable, mm-hmm. me who's, it's an, it's an adult Angela thing. 
if I'm the one who's seeing that and it becomes uncomfortable because if the person who experienced it was like, what does that even mean? Then mm-hmm. I wouldn't make a big deal about it. I was on the other person's side and I went up to somebody and like pointed the gun and shot at them or saw this kid and I knew this kid. Um, I would say something along the lines of, you know, like, are you trying to play with this person? Are you trying to give this person a message? Um, what's going on? And kids will tell you, well, I just want to play or actually I want her dead because she's in my way. Mm. And with those types of things, then it's like, okay, well, instead of shooting at her, because it looks like she doesn't know what that means, you can say, can I play with you? Mm-hmm. Or if she's in your way and you want her to be shot to move out of your way, then you can say, you're in my way, move. Or please move. Would you please move? <laughs> Would you please move? You know, we got to be a little bit <laughs> appropriate. <laughs> but yeah. Okay. From yeah, two- no, I like that. Yeah. That's good scaffolding. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, my preschool teacher. Uh, <laughs> this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Being back to work after maternity leave has been so good and frankly, so hard. I love what I do and I missed collaborating with my team while I was out and it's been a tough transition. The combination of a packed schedule and still being the milk machine for Mila Bean, it's hard to juggle everything. I feel so grateful for my weekly therapy hour. Sometimes I'm just holding so much and I need a safe space to let it out and get it off my chest. I've noticed that when I don't release it, it comes out anyway, but usually in ways that aren't aligned with how I want to show up in the world. BetterHelp is such a convenient, flexible option for parents who just can't take the travel time to get to an in-person therapy visit. It's entirely online. You can show up in your jammies, always a win in my book, and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you're on your way to feeling heard. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash voices today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash voices. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Co, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. I also wonder about just like society still exists, right? And so kids are going to hear and see things, whether they're watching it you can't control it all the time, right? They're either going to see it on video games that somebody's playing or they're going to see it in an ad or in a commercial or in a tabloid. Or And so say I, I had one parent who reached out and was like, my child just hasn't been into guns. Like that hasn't been a thing. They haven't like ventured into gunplay, but I want to talk about it. 
right? Like I want, I don't want them to learn what they know from guns from seeing stuff randomly in media on the fly. Yeah. Um, how would you approach that topic if, if kids aren't showing interest in guns yet, but you know that they're being exposed to it and you want to kind of, I guess, navigate that conversation with them? I definitely wouldn't do it with a three-year-old and not even a young four-year-old. I wouldn't, I even barely, like, if it's really something that moms and dads and parents, families really want to talk about, I'd wait till they're just a little bit older, like five, okay. four, 4.9. <laughs> just <laughs> Almost five. Of, yeah, almost five, <laughs> just because of the way that the brain is understanding information. And if they're not exposed to it, and if they haven't talked about it, then it's probably because they're feeling safe and they're understanding this and they just haven't been exposed to it. But if parents and families are willing to have this conversation, then I would say be as honest and as open as you can be with it. You know, this is what's happening. The other day I was with one of my students and he was talking about what happened. He was telling an African-American teacher that he didn't like her because of the color of her skin. And I explained to him many reasons why this wasn't okay. And he's about, he's a little bit older than five. And he was like, yeah, I don't care. I still don't like her skin. And I talked to him about how people got hurt and how people died because of this. And he was like, yep, I don't get it. I don't care. I don't like her. And at some point I started talking to him about what happened in World War II and the internment camps for the Japanese in Colorado. and. I said, it's just because of the way that you look. It was the way that people looked just like you. They said, we didn't like you. And they put them in these camps and people died and people got hurt. And it was people saying that these other people didn't deserve to live or free, have the same rights. And he said at some point, the conversation ended at that. And I said, and he said, okay. But 20 minutes later, the teacher comes to me, the African-American teacher comes to me and she says, he came and he apologized. Hmm. He sincerely apologized. He really meant it. And when I, I say all of this to say that children are capable of understanding very difficult, very scary, very uncomfortable things, if we as the adults are willing to notice and recognize that it's uncomfortable and still have that conversation. Totally. Yeah. No, absolutely. I agree. I also think in terms of like gunplay or I think other forms of play also that like make us feel uncomfortable that if we have built the children's emotional intelligence, that that's a game changer because if they have empathy and social awareness to recognize when it's not consensual anymore, that that's huge, both in gunplay and like rough and tumble, right? Like the goal here is that, they're playing and everybody's playing and when not everybody's playing anymore that it stops right but that takes emotional intelligence to be able to recognize correct um yesterday my students were rough and tumbling with their my older students who are about 4.6 4.9 rough and tumbling with one of my 3.6 year olds so about a year difference. And 
these two older boys have had a lot of conversations about their emotions and how to regulate themselves and how to have conversations and how to notice other people's body language. And they were, and the youngest one was all in there, just roughing and tumbling. He's barely learning how to do this. And the other ones, they've been doing this all school year long. They love this game. And I would just have to say, make sure you're looking at his face. Make sure you're paying attention. And they'd be like, oh, are you comfortable with that? Oh, are you okay? Oh, we need to stop. He doesn't feel comfortable anymore. And, but it takes a very, we as the adults have to be very aware, very vigilant. When we say kids are rough and tumbling, kids are just playing. We are just playing with them. We as the adults have to be aware of that because that's the moment we get to scaffold. This, like when people talk about these teachable moments or these learning moments, it's because we are very intentionally watching whether we're in the game itself or whether we're just standing by being the, like the referee. We're very intentional about what we're watching and very aware at all times so that we can say, oh, make sure you're noticing his face. Oh, let's take a break and sit down and let's talk about what just happened. But if we're just saying, oh, we're letting kids play and the teachers or the adults are off walking and watching and doing something else or not actually paying attention, then scary, uncomfortable things happen because it's still our jobs to scaffold that learning of emotional intelligence. You know, and it starts as young as your babies that you had, mm -hmm. you know, and it continues on into the later years of preschool. Then now there's more words, there's more complexities within games because they're, no, they're just in a different development in where play is. And so we have to be the adults that are willing to be a part of it, even if it's uncomfortable, so that we can continue to scaffold this emotional intelligence, the development of emotional intelligence. Absolutely. And I think that that really just comes into play with this rough and tumble in the gunplay, right? That like, if the goal here, when you gave that original example, is that like, when it was consensual, it was fine. But when he walked by and he was mad and he did it, it was not fine. And we need to teach them that, right? Like it's our job to scaffold that. I think it's a very important point, Angela. Um, and, and also like for parents who are going to tune into this, who are at home, you know, they might not be in a classroom setting. They are at home with a child and the child might be doing gunplay with them. One thing that I know that I have to be mindful of is that, like as a sexual assault survivor, rough and tumble play can make me, like can be triggering, right? It can make me feel uncomfortable. And I have to intentionally be like, okay, Alyssa, Alyssa, look at their faces, right? right. Are they having fun? And then I, it's also, and, and this starts again, as you noted in my infant toddler class, that we let them rough and tumble. They'll be diving on top of each other and playing as long as everybody's having fun. Right. And we teach our kids from before they can talk, they can scream, and they will. That they are allowed to do that when they're all done, and that if the person doesn't respond, then we will come help them, right? Um, but for me, like personally, if I was interacting with a child and we were doing gunplay, I would have to regulate my biases and be mindful of them and my own emotions in order to just play, right? Right. Because I have these preconceived, like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do here, right? Like, I, it, it makes me feel uncomfortable. I didn't grow up 
with gunplay really. I feel like maybe like Nerf guns, squirt guns, probably later on. But I didn't grow up in a hunting family. I didn't grow up with yeah. with guns really in my space. And so it's something that makes me uncomfortable. Although I grew up in a community where guns were very much on the scene, it wasn't something that I grew up comfortably playing with. And I think for me, like it just constantly comes back to consent. Right. No, I completely agree. There's never been a moment. I'm someone that they jump all over everywhere. I mean, I'll be upstairs and the little girl that lives upstairs gets to jump all over me and we get to play this way. I just enjoy it for some strange reason. Um, but when I've, when I've been in moments where I'm not invited in the game and I just have to watch my students do this to each other, I mean, these things can get aggressive, especially if you have five-year-old big boys, like big guys, you know, they're five, but they're big and they're running all over each other and they're pushing each other and it's this constant reminder okay but they're smiling okay but they're having a good time and when it sort of starts to get uncomfortable you know just it's simple cues like I'm noticing your face is very serious right now are you still playing or I'm noticing that your hands are very tightly closed are you still comfortable I'm noticing that you're kicking your legs a lot are you still comfortable and sometimes we're like, no, he kicked me in the wrong spot. <laughs> or, no, now I'm a real bad guy. It's mm-hmm. like, okay, now we have to take a break. And let's talk a little bit about that. What happened? What changed? Well, it's because he scratched me and it hurt. Oh, okay, but you, you didn't say anything. And the other person didn't notice. So then that's where we get to scaffold these things. And then, okay, are you ready to go play? Okay. Go ahead. And then I have to step back and see them. I mean, the other yesterday, one of them left the, the game with a huge scratch on his face. And I was like, oh, my. I was like, but I'm still having fun. I don't want to stop. And I was like, but I need to go take care of everybody. He's like, no, leave me alone. I was like, okay. <laughs> so it's ready yeah. to be a rugby player. Exactly. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I think that a huge thing that we've brought up here is like our own biases, right? Yeah. And being able to be mindful of them. You you can't take them away. Everyone has them right. one way or the other. Um, but being mindful of them so that when kids are playing, you can check yourself first before you respond, right? So that we can respond from an emotionally intelligent place <laughs> right? <laughs> in order to support their development. No, I think that's huge. Yeah. Uncomfortable <laughs> things, man. I Yeah. I'm I'm jazzed about this episode though because I think that it is it's a topic that makes a lot of people uncomfortable especially because it's it's not just I mean there's obviously a huge debate about gun laws which we're not going to get into but that I think is already triggering when when I posted about gunplay I got a lot of responses about gun laws and I was like that wasn't the question um but also race right and like Little white boys aren't getting shot at the playground for having a toy gun. Right. But black boys are. So I guess like my next question is if you were in a different community, if you were in a predominantly black community, what would your approach to guns be and gun play or how you talk about them? I'm going to make an overgeneralization here just because of my (laughs) own experience. 
when I first started teaching, I worked in, and it's different because it's not black. So I, I realized that. But when I worked in, was it Mexican American? As a Mexican American community, everybody spoke Spanish. We knew that some of the families were in gangs. We knew that some of the families were living in poverty. We knew that we had to like, clean out kids' lives. Like, you know, we were down we we're down there in old Chaparral, New Mexico. <laughs> it's a little town with families with very low incomes. And, and that this wasn't a game that they talked about. Mm-hmm. It wasn't. And I, from a cultural perspective, early on, culturally, African-Americans and Latino-Americans, we know we don't play with guns. It's not a toy. They teach it to us from the very beginning. I mean, even my teaching fellow from last year, he said, we don't play guns because we know that guns kill people. Mm-hmm. The kids knew that we didn't play guns because we, we saw, they saw what happened with those things. Right. Um, and so... It's the because, homicide versus suicide. Correct. You know, the scary mm-hmm. thing that happens with it. And so in these communities, in my opinion, and it is my opinion, I have no statistics on this, but in my experience, minority families, groups like African-Americans and Latino-Americans, play is different in those areas. The way that they express themselves, the way that they understand the world around them is different. Well, it has to be. Right. It is. It just has to be. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. It has to be because it is, right? Like, yeah, it's the, if, if there's a chance that your kid's going to get shot at the park for playing with a plastic gun, probably not going to encourage gunplay. Right. Yeah. And I'm sure that those families early on or earlier than even the age that I recommended have already talked about why we don't play with guns. Yeah. They've already heard the seriousness of gun violence. Right. Yeah. And, but that's my thinking because like that for me is like, okay, so white kids just get to have gunplay because they're not going to get shot. Like that just is, it's just not fair. Right. (laughs) Right. Like what's our role there? What do we do? What's our role? Yeah. I personal, in my opinion, (laughs) of course, I think that white kids get to have the conversation of get to play guns because not that they it's not that it's not less serious it's that they need to understand guns from a different perspective if they don't get to play guns or talk about guns then when they are exposed to a gun they don't get to know the severity of how dangerous this is the way that we teach white children and the way that we teach black children and the way we teach latino children it's different and it has to be because whether we want it or not whether we agree with it or not life for different colored people is different. Yeah. And we have to raise them equitably in that manner. So white kids get to talk and play guns while they also learn why they're dangerous. Black kids, they learn why it's serious and why they don't get to play with it. And until the world changes and until our country decides that racism is enough, then it can change. But right now in our current context, it's not the case. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. 
I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. With sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends, at Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark-Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast. Yeah, I like how you pointed out that we have to do it equitably, and that that doesn't mean we all get the same thing. Right. I picture like that. There's like a meme or something where people are standing on different boxes, right? Like one's small, one's medium, one's very tall. So they can all see over the fence. So they can all see over the fence. We all need different size boxes. Um, Yeah, for a number of issues. Woof. (laughs) It's it's just weighted for me, right? Because I, so I don't, I don't know like what's our role to change that for kids and like are we should we be talking to white kids at some point about this in terms of like their privilege with guns or because the homicide rate for black americans isn't just at the hands of other black americans right like those guns are also in white hands so what's our role there how do we how do we teach white american kids about say this yeah i guess about that privilege but about like i guess back to like the safety piece right that like we're not all standing inside at the same spot right right yeah earlier you mentioned how because we're a privileged community because of white privilege we have the privilege not to have the conversation yeah but if we're trying to teach a society that's different, then we have to have the conversation, whether it's guns in our house, whether it's we don't believe in guns in our house, whether it's no, we completely don't think that white cops should be shooting black kids, whatever our political stance is. White communities need to have conversations about the dangers of guns with their white children because you are privileged. (laughs) You know (laughs) this. You see this, you have been educated to know the dangers of it, you know, and because of that, then you get to also teach it. You don't just get to stand on the side and say, well, I don't have to talk about it. Yeah. Well, and that's for me, like when I've had kids be like, oh, you're a bad guy, I'm shooting you. I like have the instinct to be like, oh, what did I do? Like, why am I a bad guy? <laughs> right. So now we're going to talk about this. And they're like, oh, you, you robbed a bank or whatever. And I'm like, oh, 
I wonder why I robbed that bank. Maybe I had to feed my family, right? Like I want to talk about, <laughs> I want everything to be like a bigger conversation. And right. it's not always the time I've right. learned. Um, oh, like I can't, then kids are like, fine, I just want to play with you. Um, right. Every time I play with you, we don't get to play. It's a conversation. Right. But I think that there needs to be some balance there, right? Where sometimes we're saying, we know that the like, incarceration rate is predominantly black Americans and that we we have to talk about the fact that like what does this bad guys thing mean where is it coming from why are people doing what they're doing right like just crime in general and how guns play a role in that right right because if these white kids grow up to be white adult cops think that this is something they need to understand yeah, I, you know, thinking of the larger conversation, there there definitely is always a time and a place for them, right? And in the middle of a game when someone is trying to play, I never have this conversation, usually. You know, I I read a lot by Vivian Guzan-Paley, and there's a book that she did an introduction for called Discovering the Meaning of Children's Violent Play. Hmm. And yeah, it's written by Jan Catch. But the introduction is written by Vivian Guzan Paley, who I absolutely love. But she won in one of her books, Vivian is talking about how one of her students, she went and she the kids were writing all over the floor. And she went in there and she was very upset with them and she scolded them and she told them that that wasn't okay. And when the child went home and said, Teach the mom asked, What happened at school today? They're like, Ms. Vivian got so angry, she flew out the window, she became a witch, and she flew away. She was so angry with us. And I never really understood why that was important. But the other day, one of my students is playing in the sand, and he had just fallen and scratched his arm because someone had pulled his shirt. And he says, this hole is for you, Angel. And I was like, why? He's like, you have to get in. I'm going to bury you. And I was like, but then I'm going to die. He's like, yeah. I want you to die. And I was like, but why? Why do you want me to die? He was like, because you're always yelling at my friend. And I was like, I'm always yelling at your friends? He's like, yeah, I can tell them to stop. I can take care of my own body. But Mm. you, you yell at them instead of me because I can say stop and I can go get a teacher for myself. I don't need you to do it. And when... I think of what Vivian wrote, and when I think of that little story, he's angry with me or frustrated with me because I've advocated too much for him. I've taken something away from him. And so when children come up to me and say, I want you to die the way that he did, then of course I was going to have a conversation because we weren't playing. Mm -hmm. And I knew something, he was feeling something, something had happened that he felt so this way about which is very different from we're in the middle of a robber's game right. and they've told me now I'm the bad guy and they're going to put me in jail or I'm the bad guy and I need to die. Right. And, stuff. and I just go and I'm like, okay, I'm the bad guy and we're playing and it's fine. So as the adult, we have to be very aware of what the context is all of the time because mm-hmm. I also strongly believe no matter the rage, the race that you come from or where your background is, 
children have the right to be in the state of childhood. And if we believe that children learn best through play, then we have to let them play when it's a time for play, whether it's uncomfortable for us or not. Because then in the spectrum of what we live through in this life from childhood all the way to old age, we know from science that all of us have to go through these milestones to live a healthy life. And children have the right to go through, to be in the state of childhood. Now, minority children, African-American children, Latino children, it's different for them, but they get to play differently in a way that white Americans, white privileged people will never understand. But Mm -hmm. as someone who grew up Latina in a Latina home, I played a lot and it never had anything to do with guns, but I was able to live in the state of childhood and what was the context of what play was for me. Would you outside of the play talk about bad guys? When do I get to talk about bad guys? Real bad guys. <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> yes. Because I think that that's something that needs to be addressed, right? That there aren't bad people, good people, right? And like why people do things. I really, I really want to yeah. talk about bad guys, but I want to know like, when am I allowed to do so? You know, I have conversations about real bad guys and lately more so much more because one of my students tends to like to be the villain. Mm-hmm. He's just like, I just want to be a real bad guy. <laughs> and I think that it's important to wonder why the bad guy is such a big guy. Like, I think we get to have the conversation about bad guys when we as the adults can really understand what is a bad guy and how being a bad guy is fluid. You know, it changes. It's always changing. You know, I had one of my students from New Mexico say that we were talking about Star Wars. And he told me, and Anakin Luke Skywalker was a good guy, but then he became a bad guy in episode four when they shinged his arm off. <laughs> and my another student of mine in the same class, I went and asked him, well, he didn't want to be the bad guy. Everybody only wanted to be good guys. And the only rule that was left was the bad guy. And the little boy didn't want to be the bad guy. And I said, why don't you want to be a bad guy? No, I asked him, well, what does a bad guy mean to you? He said, well, first they're good. Then something happens. Then they become bad. And these are Mm five-year-olds. And someone before then had already explained whether it was within watching movies like Star Wars and Batman and Superman, which most people don't watch in my current community. (laughs) Nobody watches these things with kids. But in that community, everybody did talk about these things. Everybody watched these movies. And kids knew then, because of the conversations they had had, because of whatever they had seen, that something has to happen before you're bad. Something happens, then that makes you a bad guy, you know, because it's true. Like you said, someone might have stole, robbed a bank because they were probably hungry. You know, someone stole my jacket because they were probably cold. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> you know, and, and it's interesting because one of my students brings up that story all of the time. She always tells me, wait, tell me that story again. Mm. It's this very real story. It's not some fictional story that happened in a movie. And 
And I tell her the story. I was out with my friends. We were dancing. I left my jacket on the table. When I went to go get it, someone had taken it. She's like, but why did they take it? And I was like, you know, I think they were probably cold. She's like, but they stole it. That's bad. And I was like, yeah, it is. But sometimes things happen and they do it and stuff. So kids are already processing from the age of three, from the age of four, from the So I just have to capitalize on the real moments to talk about bad guys. Yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) On the real moments. All right, all right. I can do that. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Um, So I think I'm just glancing over these questions from parents real quick, but I think that we've touched on all of them. Um, By the only other thing maybe that we haven't is like, girls versus boys was one of the questions like is it different for girls versus boys and i guess i would just say that like i mean culturally it is um you know that girls are less less likely to get shot but if we're preparing all kids for this like culturally then it shouldn't be it shouldn't affect their play right do you agree with that well i think that Girls play differently. And because, which sounds very binary. Yeah, it does. <laughs> I would like for it to I sound thought. differently. <laughs> but in my, I think I have, in my classroom of 21 students, I have one little girl who, who's very neutral. And I have one little boy who very much would rather be feminine, the feminine side. You know, he enjoys princes and stuff. But as the year progressed, both of those children's play transformed. And now I have both of them wanting to be princesses and both of them wanting to be bad guys all at different times, all depending on the game, all depending on what they're feeling and going through. Um, But should conversations change? Should the way that we explain things to them, it shouldn't change because all of us are exposed to the bad and the good and the comfortable and the uncomfortable and the guns and the tumble and the rough and tumble and all of these things. And all of us have the right to be exposed to a very clear message about what this is. Right. And I have my own bias when it comes to rough and tumble and consent with boys. And I actually brought this up in, in a team meeting this year where I'd realized that like, we have one little girl who loves super hard. Like she just, she just needs to touch. And, uh, it, but I wasn't as vigilant with her as I was with the little boy in my classroom who loved really hard, who, who was playing, who was laughing, who was having fun, who wasn't doing anything maliciously, uh, or aggressively. He was loving hard. Right. And, but I would be right there ready to pull him off when the other kid's face changed or when they screamed or whatever. I was vigilant about it. And with the little girl, I I wasn't. And for me, it's definitely a bias that I have. And it's a larger like social context of he needs to learn this more than she does. Right? Like they both need to learn consensual touch and what that means. In in my context, she needs to learn it to keep herself safe, and she's she's doing that just fine. And he needs to learn it to keep everybody else safe and respect them. Right. 
right? Yeah. So, but it, that's my own bias. And I'm, I'm aware of that. And I brought it up to my team so that we could all, so that I could get their support in responding to her in the same way that we were responding to him because we needed to send the same message to her. Right. Um, but I think when it comes like uh, with gunplay as well, that it comes back to consent, right? And like, we just have to, in the same way that we would respond to non-consensual gunplay with boys, that if a girl's participating, it should be the same. Right. They should just know how to use their voice and say, I'm all done with this. Right. Agreed. Yeah. Cool. Andrew, thank you so much for joining me for this conversation that is often uncomfortable. And I'm really, really grateful that you were willing to dive into it with me. I honestly, yeah, I didn't, I didn't know how I would come out of this, but I feel differently than I, when I went in, I feel oh. like I, I came in wanting to understand and I really understand. And I feel like my approach would be different. I'm glad. I'm glad I was able to talk a little bit more about this. I was just saying earlier that I don't always know how to articulate why I let my students do this or why I am so much a part of this type of play with them and being able to just articulate it little by little has been very helpful for me too. Good. I think it's important to have these conversations, especially when we don't come armed and prepared with the articulation. Right. I think it's good to have respectful conversation with each other. Agreed. <laughs> Thank you for doing it with me, Angela. Angela, if people wanted to connect with you, is there a place they could do so? Yes, they can email me. I will, I'll link your email. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Angela. Have a lovely day. You too. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in to Voices of Your Village. Check out the show notes for this episode and all past episodes at voicesofyourvillage.com. If this podcast has helped you on your journey, please take two minutes to leave a review on iTunes. Thanks for joining forces with us to cultivate this modern parenting village. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a no guilt mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Guilt Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows.